Well, this has been a very scintillating conversation so far, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have to either make bullshit or decide we're just going to record and go with this. Sorry, this this eye of mine is like fucking leaking hard. This eye of mine is leaking hard. Oh, no, 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 you're not crying. It's been established that you have no human yeah. emotions. <laughs> <laughs> there are like a, there's this mind full of movies I cry at pretty reliably. Such as I just have like a weird mental block, you know. Like when other people are around, I find it very difficult to cry. Yeah, crying is something to be done alone while you're on the toilet, not in front of people. Yeah, or in the shower. Well, I do that, but like when it's a movie, I will tear up regardless. But like, I don't cry in, in front of anyone in real life, as is, as is proper. Because then your enemies will know when you're weak. Exactly. And they'll know when to strike. I guess it can... It depends on how, like, engaged... Like, I was less engaged with me, Joe Black, and so it didn't hit me as hard. Right. But the parts that hit me still hit me when we watch it just now. Connect me to Joe Black. Universe is way out of whack. Where did you come from when you go back? Where did you come from <laughs> Joe Black? There it is. God. Oh, shit. It's spinning in your head. It has that. been. All right, that's good enough. I appreciate that you can get that out. That was And then figure out what we would do better. I am your host for this week, Lee, just a kid in a suit, Delahanty. And I'm Chris, sing with rapture and dance like a dervish revel. And I am Brendan, a peanut butter man, Drishler. <laughs> <laughs> and if you couldn't tell from those <laughs> nicknames, which I believe, like, with the closest we've come to recognizable pieces of bullshit from this movie, um, we have just finished watching Meet Joe Black. A movie from 1998, directed by Martin Bress. And boy, are, and boy, are we tired! Uh, a three-hour marathon of yep. <laughs> film watching. I mean, it's a marathon, but like a gentle-paced marathon, like yeah. more of an amble or a stroll yeah. than a run. But it's sort of like like a through a swamp. Yeah, it's like running through a swamp. Yeah, it's it. You just um, keep trying to lift your legs out, and they're yeah. not getting anywhere, and you realize that you're still in the same scene you were five minutes ago. We're kind yeah. of like we're it's kind a bit of, of a tough mutter. This one, yes, truly though. <laughs> this movie, just to throw out a few names, famously stars Brad Pitt, Anthony Hopkins, uh, Claire Filarney, Masha Garden, mm-hmm. Jeffrey, uh, Tambor. Jeffrey Tambor. That's that's, that's kind of it in terms yeah. of famous people. Yeah, June Squibb is in there for exactly like a second. Uh, um, what did we drink for this movie, Brendan? Well, the drink that we had for this is called The Depths of Forever. It was quite simple. It was one ounce of gin, one ounce of chartreuse, one ounce of maraschino, and one ounce of lemon juice, and you just shake it with ice and strain it into a cocktail glass. Well. I loved it. It was nice. Yeah, it, it was, was very. Nice. It was a very me drink. Yeah. Um, I'm glad it wasn't super herbal. Like, I thought yeah. it was going to be whenever we were first talking about making it. It, it had a very nicely balanced herbal note to it. It should also be said for the gin, I used two parts of the ethereal gin and one part of the rose oh, gin. Okay. Nice. So I was trying to just see what it would be like if I used, like, some different ones instead of yeah. just sticking with one entirely. I think it probably helped a little bit. No, I think it was a good It was a good drink. It was very appropriate, I think, for the movie. Yeah. When I made the second one for myself, I just used the straight ethereal, and it was kind of lacking that, like... Mm. 
slightly turned up herbal note that I got from the first one. So I thought that was an excellent choice. It was like kind of a nice summery drink almost too, yeah. right? Like it, it, it was cool. It was clean. It was refreshing. But also appropriately for the birthday party we see at the end of this movie, kind of a little old timey, a it little felt, like it felt very fancy, right? It was, yeah. a little, it, was, it was very traditional. I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a good drink overall. I yeah. mean, mission successful. That green yeah. chartreuse just gives something to those yeah. drinks. I, fe- I feel like we're a bit farther away from those sort of disaster cocktails that we end up with sometimes. Yeah. Stunning, stunning recommendation. Thumbs up all around. Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes a list for me in terms of drinks I would absolutely yeah. order at a bar. And we certainly needed it because this movie was three hours long and a yes, lot it happens and it's... Shall we get into what happens in this? I would we love shall. to. <laughs> so, meet Joe Black. Billionaire media mogul Bill Parrish is considering a merger between his company and another media giant and is about to celebrate his 65th birthday with an elaborate party planned by his eldest daughter, Allison. His youngest daughter, Susan, a resident in internal medicine, is in a relationship with one of Bill's board members, Drew. She is considering marriage, but Bill can tell that she is not passionately in love. When she asks for the short version of his impassioned speech, he simply says, Stay open. Who knows? Lightning could strike. When their company helicopter lands, he begins to hear a mysterious voice, which he tries with increasing difficulty to ignore. Susan meets a vibrant young man at a coffee shop. He takes an interest in her and tells her that lightning may strike. She is enamored, but parts without getting his name. Unbeknownst to her, the man is struck by multiple cars <laughs> in a possibly fatal collision. In honestly one of those unintentionally hilarious scenes there ever was. The entire sequence. <laughs> Death arrives at Bill's home in the uninjured body of the young man, explaining that Bill's impassioned speech has picked his interest. Giving Bill's competence, experience, and wisdom, Death says that for as long as Bill will be his guide on Earth, Bill will not have to die. Making up a name on the spot, Death is introduced to the family as Joe Black. Bill's best efforts to navigate the next few days, knowing them now to be his last, fails to keep the events from going rapidly out of control. Drew is secretly conspiring with a man bidding for parish communications. He capitalizes on Bill's strange behavior and unexplained reliance on Joe to convince the board of directors to vote Bill out as chairman, using information given to him inadvertently by Bill's son-in-law, Quince, to push through the approval for the murder which William had decided to oppose. Quince is devastated. Susan is confused by the appearance of Joe, believing him to be the young man from the coffee shop, but eventually falls deeply in love with him. Joe is now under the influence of human desires and becomes attracted to her as well. After they make love, Joe asks Susan, what do we do now? She replies, it'll come to us. Bill angrily confronts Joe about his relationship with his daughter, but Joe declares his intention to take Susan with him for his own. As his last birthday arrives, Bill appeals to Joe to recognize the meaning of true love and all it encompasses, especially honesty and sacrifice. Joe comes to understand that he must set aside his own desire and allow Susan to live her life. He also helps Bill regain control of his company, exposing Drew's underhanded business dealings to the board by claiming to be an agent of the Internal Revenue Service and threatening to put Drew in jail. At the party, Bill makes his peace with his daughters. Susan tells Joe that she has loved him ever since that day in the coffee shop. Joe realizes that Susan loves the unknown man, not him, and the realization crushes him slightly. Mastering his emotions powerfully, he balks at telling Susan who he really is, although she seems to intuit his true identity. Struggling to comprehend the enormity of the situation, Susan cannot label Joe as death. She says finally, you're... you're Joe. <laughs> he promises her, you will always have what you found in the coffee shop. Movie's inferring. Yeah. Summary's inferring. Yes, it is. <laughs> On a hillock in the grounds above the party, Bill expresses trepidation, asking, should I be afraid? Joe replies, not a man like you. The music yeah. swells. Fireworks explode in the distance while Susan watches Joe and her father walk out of view. Susan is stunned as Joe reappears alone, bewildered, this time as the young man from the coffee shop. He is uninjured and cannot account for how he got there. Susan accepts that her father is gone and rekindles the romantic spark she had shared with the young man. 
What do we do now? She asks. It'll come to us, Joe replies, as the two of them descend toward the twinkling lights of the party. There it is. That took three hours. Can you believe it? Three fucking hours. That summer does make it look a lot easier. I also, I can't imagine what it must have been like seeing this in theaters. Like, at least here when we're watching it, we can pause it, we can go get a drink, we can check our phones, we can do anything. Hey, we all saw Endgame, and granted that Endgame was an action-packed thing. Uh, It's possible to be engaged for three hours. No, it is. But that's what I'm saying. Like, with this this specific movie, I cannot imagine being, like, in a dark room where, like, you can't, you know, I mean, you can, but, like, you don't leave, you can't, like, talk to people, you can't go get food. Or that's, like that. like, that's hell on earth. That's to me. exactly the comparison I was thinking. Where I was like, when you say, "Wow, this movie is three hours long," really about any movie, you'd be like, "Wow, that's a long time to sit still." But then you think about Endgame, and you're like, "Okay, but that kept me engaged for that three hours, and it didn't, it didn't feel it like didn't three feel hours, like three yeah. hours." This felt even longer than three hours. There's just not enough happening no. to keep you in. I don't have a problem with like long silence in movies. I just think that like, oh, we agree they're not done well, but. Let's start, uh, before we get into how long this movie is and that effect that it has in the story, let's start with talking about where this movie comes from and, mm. and all the different iterations of it, because Meet Joe Black is loosely adapted from Death Takes a Holiday. So I'm just curious, in the credits of the movie, what is it like technically mm. based upon? Is it based upon the movie? Is it based on the play? Let me take a look. I would I'm imagine curious. it's loosely inspired by the film. Okay. That is what the Wikipedia says. Granted, Wikipedia doesn't always have the facts right, but... Yeah, it says that it's loosely based on the 1934 film. This is... Before the musical. Right. Mm-hmm. And even though the movie is technically based on the play, the play is actually an adaptation of an Italian play. And I think that, like, for a layperson, even mm-hmm. for, like, a, a, a lazy Hollywood executive, if you're going back to the movie, I don't think you dig further than that. Because it actually took me a decent amount of effort to, like, find out what the play was like and get a script. That's probably play. true. I mean, I'm just thinking, because, like, I th- my understanding is this is sort of a passion project for Martin Brass. Like, this is something he'd wanted to do since the 80s. Yeah. And so I wonder if it was just that he had seen the movie and was like, I want to do this. Or if he had, like, read the play and was like, this play would make a perfect movie. I will say that if you've seen the movie and you wanted to do it, the play doesn't give you... It doesn't shed a whole new light on it. The mm-hmm. movie was... To me, when I, I have I have read the original play, or at least the English translation thereof that was done in Broadway. I've seen the original movie, and I've watched Meet Joe Black, and I've seen I've read also the musical of Brenda that we'll talk about a little bit. <laughs> um, but having just read the play recently and seen the movie Death Takes a Holiday, I thought the play would be different significantly from the movie, especially yeah. because the movies back then, as they do now, take a lot of liberty sometimes. Right. Um, it was and, pre-code, you said, is that correct? Yeah, it was pre-code, but like, you don't really notice it, except that I think they do imply that Sorky and Grazia have sex. Okay. Yeah, the, I thought the movie had taken significant other liberties. There, there's like some changes, but having read the libretto of the musical in 2011, yeah, it first, yeah. before the play, I was like, well, the play is very different from the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wondered how much of that came from the original play. Not a lot. Like, the movies, the musical liberties are the, are the musical liberties. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're Martin Brass and you cared about this movie, he might have read the play and I don't think it would have influenced him either way. It seems like he doesn't really care about the original story that much. Yeah. He's kind of deviated pretty heavily from it. Right, I mean, in a way, he does what we always do, which is to say, like, you take the story yeah. that you kind of like and you're like, well, this is the thing that I enjoy. And yeah. then you jump in that direction. Yeah. And I feel like not all of his choices were bad choices, but no. certainly... Um, so if I, I can briefly, I guess, talk about the ones that I've, the different versions that I've iterated, that I've seen. Um, so, like, the original play and the movie are pretty straightforward, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about them as one. They were both set at the end of World War One, like, a few years after. So there's, like, the aftermath of all of this great death. There's a young woman who, I guess, is Susan's, like... Analog. An- yeah, analog. Yeah. And the, sort of the Duke is sort of Bill's analog, except he's much less of a focus. 
the Duke is the one that the that death goes to to be like, hey, I want to take this holiday. And he does it, and you immediately come to Act 2, which is like, he's going to do it for three days. And Act 2 is like, on the last day at 9pm. <laughs> so he's got like three hours left, yeah. basically. And Act 2 is mostly about his sort of findings of like, fucking around on Earth for three days. And he hasn't done a whole lot, like he's like seen... The movie does like a montage of him like going to a yacht race and like mm-hmm. gambling in a casino and his conclusions are that like people mostly fuck around and do stupid shit and that they don't really understand what life is about. And then someone explains to him, um, like like lo- like introduces the concept of like love and all that can do and death sort of hooks onto that. It's like yes, like that seems to be the thing that I've been looking for. He's very like intensely looking for something. I would say in that in that version, like as opposed to Joe, mm-hmm. he has a very strong mission of like I don't understand why why people fear me or why death is so frightening. I, I don't understand why people cling to life and I need to know. And so once he sort of looks on to, like, oh, it must be this thing called love, <laughs> there's, like, three women in the original movie, and he sort of, like, goes, like, <laughs> loops through both of them. You describe it sort of as, like, it's almost dating sim-esque, because it he's kind of bit. given these different options and bombs out on the, like, yeah. on the brassy American gal, and then the sort of, like, romantic well, European woman. I also that it's kind of in the play very, in the movie, I would say pretty similar they're almost like symbolic because the first woman's very young and the way he lands there is that she doesn't actually feel anything for him that it's just like a sort of childlike infatuation and the second woman is very strongly sexually attracted to him and they kiss but then she can't face who he really is uh when when he like like hints that he might be some sort of immortal being and so she freaks out and he's like well you don't really love me it's just passion with you and then he finally lands on Grazia, who is a woman that he, like, saw once in the first act, and now we're just seeing him again within act, the end of act two. Um, and Grazia is, like, this weird... I mean, it's a bit, but, like, Susan, this is very spacey. And that's where they sort of have this, like, weird, unearthly connection that mm. she never had. And she's also portrayed as a character who, like, is looking for some kind of happiness she can't define to anyone, um, and seems to find it with death. And the movie ends, uh, the play rather, and the movie end with uh, him deciding he's going to take her with her. And at the 11th hour, he still does that thing where he's like, well, I don't want to take her. But she chooses to go with him anyway. And they walk off together. Yeah. And they died. I guess she's dead. I don't know. Like, <laughs> also, she goes where she goes when you die. This is something I was kind of wondering. In the original play, is it as abrupt the end, as it sort of is in the movie? Yeah, it's, it is abrupt. Like, they don't have a lot of screen time in the movie and play together, or stage yeah. time. And in the play and movie, they share a scene where it's everyone has been aware, made aware that this is death that they're dealing with. And they all are sort of vying for, like, Grazia's soul. And saying, like, you know, you're taking her away from us, this isn't fair to us, and, like, you're robbing her of life. And he's trying to say, like, well, you guys have no concept of what comes after. You don't understand that, like, death is actually, like simpler and kinder than life and like so i couldn't possibly explain it to you and she ends up just saying like why when he reveals finally that he is death to her she says like but i've always seen you like this and this is what i choose and they walk off together and the the sort of like (laughs) the sort of like line they end on that sort of like the button we're gonna say what the theme is out loud is (laughs) like love is as strong slash stronger than death I think in the musical they say love is stronger than death. Mm-hmm. In the play, it's love is as strong as death. I think it's also probably important to note, and I know you did, yep. but just as like 
a repeat reminder how this does take place like right after World War One. Yes. Which puts it in a very different light than Meet Joe Black. Whereas these movies are all like meditations on death because the world has just seen death in a sense that it has never seen before. Mm-hmm. Like in such a large epic battle. Yeah. And like Meet Joe Black is more just like, well, it's 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 day-to-day death, you know. It's yeah. like it's he he's going to die because he's old and he has a heart attack. And I think the core messages are pretty different too. I don't know. I I we'll, we'll get into Meet Joe Black, I yeah. think now, but it's I don't know what Meet Joe Black is. Right, because I was going to say because if the play ends with them and the musical ends with them stating that theme of love is as strong or stronger than death yeah I don't know what the theme is of Mijo Black I really don't I don't either because I mean the difference is of course also is that the play and musical seem to focus a little more heavily on the relationship between death and the young woman whoever she is in this context yeah whereas Mitra Black does have that but Mitra Black also spends a lot of time dealing with Anthony Hopkins character who is her father yeah and dealing yeah. with death's relationship with him and would... dealing even with like just his day-to-day activity is like running a company also that's yeah if I could make one small correction there like I think the musical focuses a lot on death and Grazia the woman yes but the movie and the play are like more about death with everyone. Yes. There's like a bajillion characters in the play. Honestly, Lactia kind of takes like last in line. Because again, I think the play is very philosophical almost. And so you have like an older woman whose husband died. There's a young woman who hasn't really experienced anything. There's like this old statesman who's done it all and he's like a, a bon vivant. Yeah. Um, and like there's all of these, and a major who always risks his life right. and doesn't have anything to lose ever. There's all these different people that have different like uh, perspectives. Perspectives about death. And like it's all a lot of like death working it through with all of them and getting, having these interesting conversations. And like Meet Joe Black supplements that for one guy and right. his unique take on life. So I, I would say, like, the musical that comes after this takes away that aspect and focuses, like, no, I want to tell the story of this romance. Mm-hmm. Whereas Meet Joe Black, like, replaces, like, all of the different cast of the play and just has one guy. Mm-hmm. But then also decides, I still want to do this romance, but I think that there's not enough time to on it, so let's, like... <laughs> yeah. Now let's... Tell two movies at right, the same time. Right. Let's do like a death in this guy and then death in this woman that he falls in love with. Right. And somehow we'll connect them and we'll see how good that works. Yeah. Which, by the way, as like a writer or a director, I'm not necessarily hating the concept of wanting to hit both beats. It's just as approached in this movie feels awkward. Like there well, feels like well, I, I would. I mean, I would. I would just say I feel like the romance is horribly done in this movie. And oh, badly written. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. Like, it, it suffers. I think from the brunt of the worst dialogue in this movie. And then I feel like the relationship between Death and Anthony Hopkins in this movie is bogged down by a business subplot that I don't give a shit about. There is that, yes. So let's talk about, like, why, how this movie ends up being so long and where we think that it The flab is. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, on a very, like, macro level, everything in this movie takes too long to happen. Yes. Like, every scene has too many pregnant pauses. Everyone repeats lines yes. a lot of the times. A lot of times when there's a joke, people keep building upon this joke in an unsatisfying way. Whenever Death says, like, we're, um, what's his face? Drew says, death and taxes. And Death is like, what? Death and taxes? And he's like, yes, it's an expression. Death and taxes. Have you not heard of it? He's like, no, I haven't. Well, I'd be happy to tell you about it. I have office hours. You can come by too. <laughs> so like, fucking stop. Just let it go. Yep. Yeah, and there, like the scene, every scene with like uh, Susan and Joe, quote unquote, yeah, quote unquote slash death. It goes like it, it's just a lot of them staring at it's formidable. Well, I, repeating what she's yes. just said. I understand the need to kind of put in silent takes 
you want to show actors emoting, reacting to an emotional moment, whatever. But you choose. You don't like do exactly. all of it. Yeah. Exactly. You don't take every every opportunity <laughs> yeah. presented for that. And they do in this movie. I feel like you could cut out at least a half hour if you took out half of the like stair takes yeah. that happen. Because there's moments too, especially at those group dinner scenes, where like someone will say something, and then I feel like we're almost up to thirty to forty five seconds of like. And here's what this person at the table right. feels like about shots it. Of everyone yeah, <laughs> the first one in particular is just like interminable. Whenever he first shows so up, and stuff, and because it's so, it's so many of that, right? Like you get so many reaction shots, you get so many scenes of like death being. Oh, he doesn't know how to pass rolls around a table. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> He's trying to pass rolls to Drew, and Drew's like, "No, I don't want any. I don't want any." Yeah. It's just like the, oh, every. Yeah. But but I just want to say that aspect of Mitchell Black is just, crazy. It's nuts. <laughs> if he's seen this movie, yeah. and this read this play, like de- you don't have to make death a fucking idiot. Yeah. Like, death in the movie, like, understands what forks are. Right. And, and all, he, again, he understands the, idioms. To be like, fair, death is not an idiot. Death is a very selective idiot in this. Where, yeah. like, death understands what the IRS's purpose is, but he doesn't understand, like, what roles are passing yeah, around the dinner table. Food. Yeah. Like, he lifts up his plate and, like, is going, like, like a dog and just is, like, about to, like, <laughs> yeah. shove it in his face well, until he realizes the people are using forks. It felt like it was two things. It was one, like, Martin Brass really wanted to punch in on this moment every time it came up, but I so like I feel like someone needed to be with the editor and be like, we don't need a reaction from everyone. Yeah. You pick your key people and return to them. I, I don't need never Jeffrey Tambor's reaction to everything that happens. So we also kind of established that Death has this weird ability to like obtain information. One of the earlier scenes where he meets a true, he mentioned something about how like it may not be ethical to cheat on your French exam or something whenever you're graduating from school or like, yeah. like this weird thing that clearly he's trying to imply that like Drew did this whenever he was in school and you know graduated because he had cheated on a test or whatever. Is it supposed to be because death is like a godlike, um, godlike omniscient who's I mean, just no, seen I'm us not all saying, do these things? Like, I'm not saying lives. that like he can't be that. Like that's probably what it is. But the fact of the matter is, why does he know that Drew cheated yeah. on an exam but not understand how to eat at a dinner table? If Good you were point. so fascinated with what it's like to be a human, wouldn't you have fucking learned like what it is they do on a daily basis? Like, like this, and again, also, well, the other thing is like, why is death doing this? The movie never really clearly establishes what well, death wants yeah, out I of this experience. I guess the weak thing that you could say in its defense is that they. He, like, is talking to Bill in his head all day with creepy, mm-hmm. weird, menacing statements. Yes. But, like, because Bill is saying such weird, eloquent statements about life and what it means to live, he's, like, at the end of his life, that Bill, that Joe sees something in that and, like, wants to understand what Bill is talking about. But they, that's, like, a throwaway line in the moment in a movie that is three hours long. It is. And it, like, is... if you are to take what the Wikipedia summary says is accurate, which I do not, it seems to be that Death is fascinated by the conversation he has with Susan on the helicopter when they're flying to New York. Yeah. Which is to say, it's just about how, like, you know, like, seize the joy in life, basically, yeah. is what it comes down to. Like, anything can happen, so be prepared prepared for that and just don't forget to live. Is it weird to say, by the way, I don't feel like we see that element of, like, taking life with both hands. We don't really see that in Anthony Hopkins' character very much. I mean, we don't really see that in any of them is the problem. No. I feel like if Death wants to know yeah, what it's right. like to be human, he picked the wrong crowd to hang around with. Yeah. all just so... I don't know, just not having a good time ever. Yeah, and that's the ironic bit about the play, is that he, like... First of all, he's not picking people specifically. He just decides, like, this is a, as fine a place as any. Yeah. And, like ironically finds out this bunch of idle rich people all they do is like gamble and do and he's like well, I don't understand why you do all this dumb shit yeah 
that's a good moment, but like to to I, to unironically choose a very rich dude right. who don't have a lot to do, like her her lives are occupied with useless shit, like planning parties mm-hmm. and what kind of cake are we going to have? What I would have appreciated a lot more, especially if this is a death who's going to call out Drew for cheating on his French exam. Which, by the way, he understands what what he understands ethics, but he can't understand things like basic social graces. Where I was going to say he understands ethics, but he doesn't understand why like killing someone to be with her forever is a bad thing right. to do. <laughs> Like, well, he knows also, cheating, but killing is just like, a little too abstract. I, I think I get the line they were trying to hit here where he's, like, this amazing, unbelievable cosmic being with, like, such deep knowledge, but he's, like, blown away by peanut butter. Like, I understand <laughs> what they're trying to do with that. Yeah. But the balance is so off. But mostly, I would think in this situation, if he's plumped down in this family that is just rich, but everyone seems bored and, like, saturated with ennui... Why isn't he just sort of raging at them almost? Where, like, I could take all of your lives and none of you would feel differently about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, Joe, there's a lot of lines in the play. Like, as of Joe in the, in the movie seems to have no, barely understand what life is. Whereas, like... What feelings about it one way or the other? Yeah. Whereas, like, death in the original movie very clearly states at various points that, like, none of you are going to understand how good it is to smell a rose as well mm-hmm. as I do right now because I can only do it for these three days and mm-hmm. that's it. Which was an interesting statement because yeah. you could extrapolate from that that he's essentially telling these rich people you have it really good in life. Yeah. So kind of like take that into perspective a yeah. little, but we never get that moment in Meet Joe Black. No, and also as I said when we were watching this at the end, Anthony Hopkins is like speaking to people on his birthday and he's like, I hope you all have it like as good as I do, which is sort of like, yeah, you know, like you, you have millions of dollars, you have a full staff, you have children who love you, like y- yeah, like no fucking figure, you have it really good right now, like there is nothing about him that I feel like, you know, like it's it, it would be different if he was a poor person right. or if he was, you know, if he was just appreciating like the few good things he has in life but he has everything good in life do you know what would have made that moment land a lot better if he lost the company well yes or if he had started out in a place where he did not appreciate these things or realize that and then having Joe around kind of like taught him that and then that's what he gives to the party that would have been interesting as it is, as far as I can tell, he actually did kind of understand that at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, it's well because that's the whole reason. That's why like death picks him to be right. his life guide because like yeah. he is someone who understands what it is like to live life well. But so like, what is Anthony Hopkins' journey in this movie? He Anthony Hopkins been. is like you could. There is a version of this movie where Anthony Hopkins is arguably the protagonist because he is the first character you actually like meet and get a handle on. And if he's not the protagonist, then I guess Joe Black is. But what does Joe Black learn? That like killing people is not a good thing. Like don't be selfish. It's very. T- telling as well that the movie starts with Anthony Hopkins. Well, yeah. I, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that it starts with Anthony Hopkins so much because it's sort of like, you know, like, what are you going to do? Like, like we'll start with like Brad Pitt going down to the hospital. <laughs> like, boop, 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 dead, dead, dead. And so it's like, that's fine. It, it doesn't bother me that it starts with Anthony Hopkins, but I think it places a lot of pressure on his character Erasing to learn Netflix something. Notes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> no, I, but seriously, like, I agree. I do agree. Like, my addition to that, though, is that I, I've said this before. I wonder how early. Anthony Hopkins entered this project and how early on the, it was the decision to like focus so heavily on him versus the romance because it's I, a pretty big change yeah. a lot of the, I mean a bulk of the movie we've talked about this before that there's an airline version of this movie yeah, yeah. that cuts out a lot of the the, the business shit the right? business shit and it, it drastically reduces the three hour runtime. Yeah, people closer to two hours that they enjoy it better and like the director's like bullshit no, about no. it no Alan Smithy and like listen I'll be 
right up there up front and say I get way more moved by some of the scenes with Anthony Hopkins than I do with Claire Forlani, who I don't think is very good. I don't think the character's written no. well. I don't know how much of it is the actress. We'll get into that. But I, I agree. Like, some of that stuff is better. Yeah. But it also makes a lot more sense to cut the business shit it out. It does. Because I don't know why we spend so much time on it. Well, it's, it's, it's also... It's, it's not interesting. It's not compelling. It's not emotionally engaging. Why is it here? It's also resolved so, like, bizarrely. Because it's just... It's like, like a deus ex machina. Right. Because at the end, it's like, well, the company's being... It's a death being, ex yeah, machina. Yeah. <laughs> he's basically like, well, the company's being taken Good away work. from me. But that's okay. And then he's like, his, you know, his guy Friday on the board is like, don't worry. I bet I can make everyone yeah. come back to your side. And then apparently they somehow find out that Drew was secretly working for the guy who wants to buy his company, they don't ever show them, like, finding right. this out. He just, like, comes in and he's like, I know that you're secretly doing this. And it's like, at first, the first time I saw it, I thought he was bluffing, that he yeah. was trying to, like, call his bluff. I was waiting him. for Drew to be like, oh, how did you know it was me? But like, he doesn't. And then also, like, Brad Pitt's the one who says, like, and yes, also, I'm from the IRS and I'll send you to jail unless you resign. So, like, this entire thing is resolved by some bizarre antics at the end of the movie. It's not resolved through any, like, actual effort made by the characters. No. So, like, if you, you put in this much effort trying to build up this business subplot, where does it pay off? I also think it's troubling to me because in that situation, and I was rolling this around in my head for a, for a while, does that mean Martin Brest saw all of that business shit on equal footing of, of importance with all the emotional stuff being discussed? Clearly. And if that's the case, I don't know. Then I hate to tell another person that they missed the point of their own work, but I think he missed the point of this well, movie. I, but the thing is, is that I, the business shit is bullshit, but I don't think that Martin, maybe Martin Bruss was talking about like the stuff that you need to cover to get to the, the bits in the end where Anthony Hopkins and him are going to walk over the bridge together and say goodbye to life. Like that stuff is the stuff that really I care about the most in this movie. Mm-hmm. And if you cut their screen time together and cut some of those conversations that they have amidst the business shit then yes, it's going to make less sense and it's going to lessen the impact of that scene. And that I don't agree with, but I do agree that the business shit is boring. I just think that if you're going to tell a movie about this guy reconciling that he's cast to go and like he has three days to say goodbye to everyone he's ever known, that's a fine movie to tell. It just don't make it about like how he has to straighten a merger out before he I guess it. that's sort of my point, which is like, I find a movie that wants to have things to say about life and the quality thereof, and if we're to assume that the, that the thesis statement of this movie is Hopkins' lines to his daughter on the plane at the beginning, or helicopter, or whatever the fuck it was, on the beginning, then having them putting so much emphasis on the business stuff is in in competition with that. Yeah. Because then we're, then are we meant to believe that that was, that was as important? No, I, but like, I think it's that it's, crazy. you can't cut the business stuff out without losing a lot of the earnest conversations that he has with Brad Pitt about like, you know, his wife and things yeah. like that. Like, it's intermingled. And I so, think you have to reframe it, perhaps. Yeah, but well, you can't, if you've written, if you've made the movie already, like I can, yeah. I'm just saying, I can see where his anger comes from because you probably are losing a lot of the emotional bits in that in Anthony Hopkins's plotline if you're cutting the merger stuff. That's true. So what I also want to say is when this movie starts, Anthony Hopkins is basically ready to go through with this business merger. He starts hearing his own voice in his head. He meets Joe Black. Hey, at dinner. And then the next day he comes into work and <laughs> basically his board is like, now we're all ready to go through with the merger, right? We're going to do the merger. And Anthony Hopkins is like... Well, actually... It's not a good... It's not, it's not well written. No, because... Well, and he basically says that, like, you want your company to go on, like, the way... It, like, after you die, you want your company yeah. to go on running the way you had run it. And, like, that's fine. But, like, he was all set to go through with this. And then, like, literally, this is the first time we see him be like, oh, maybe that was a bad choice I made. Also, again, if he's living life so well, why was he so gung-ho on this prospect to begin with? And then, like, when he realizes that, like, oh, actually, someday I'll die, he was like, oh, no, this isn't a good thing to do. So, like, if he had been on the fence the 
the entire time. And then all of a sudden, like his demise was coming on. He was just like, oh, actually, you know, like this isn't the way I want things to be done. Like it may, we may have to take a bath on this. Yeah. There's a lot of money, but like, this is not the way that I want my legacy to be. No. And like the movie kind of tries to show you that that's the second thought he's having, but it comes out of nowhere. It comes out of nowhere. And I feel like if you're going to keep the business stuff in, which I think you could, I think you just need to refocus how you do it. I think also, just real quick, it must be said, the scene of them leaving the coffee shop is a great, like, microcosm of why the movie <laughs> well, is taking so long. It's also a great microcosm of the next thing I want to bring up, which is some of the whiplash in this movie with tone and, oh, and like, yeah. just quality overall of mm-hmm. storytelling uh-huh. that happens in this movie. So, again, that's that scene with, with her and Brad Pitt. Yeah. Sleazeball met Brad Pitt <laughs> yeah. in the coffee shop. It must be said... That I've heard people talk about Brad Pitt at the beginning of this movie in the coffee shop as as a romantic me cute. And he is a pickup artist. He yeah. is. A thousand percent. Everything read in that scene, I feel like it's impossible to watch this in 2019 and not feel like he's he like I'm read he like read the game or whatever yeah. and was like, yeah. this is how it's done. Because And she's charmed by it and I'm yeah. offended by it. <laughs> I am also offended by it. I feel like if a guy was talking that way to me at a coffee shop, it would have been like Leave me alone. So that's yeah. like so. It starts. She walks into this <laughs> diner. And she sits down, and behind her, you can you can't see it's him, but on the phone is Brad Pitt, and he's like, "What? No, you just gotta you gotta get back to work, and someday honey. we're gonna blah blah blah." Yeah, honey. Yeah, I love you. I love you too. I love you. And then he goes to sit down, and she's like, "Sorry, I was talking kind of loudly on the phone there." And she's like, "Oh, whatever. I don't care." Yeah. <laughs> and like eventually comes out only appropriate reaction for the yeah, whole scene. Yeah, it eventually comes out like, "Oh, this was his sister. He's not a skis ball who has it's a wife his, or a girlfriend." It's his kid sister. Yeah, so like, you, you, he's a good big brother. But he so calls it, honey, which is, yeah, it is super it is so weird. Yeah. Super weird. Throughout the conversation, he also mimics her actions. When she is pouring coffee, she goes to pour in sugar. He pours in sugar for the same length of time. <laughs> she goes to put in milk. He puts in milk for the exact which, same length of way, time. We have to assume, based on how the movie frames this at the beginning and at the very end, that we're meant to believe these two are just like so simpatico in a very natural way. Yeah, this is supposed way. to be the lightning strike. Yeah. Thing. But the way that it appears is is like he's manipulating her. Yeah, yeah he does. And because also like, and no, like, so as soon as he sits down, he's the one who goes to her and is like, sorry about that. Let me tell you a little about myself. It's not like she says something like, no, you know, like if she had just like said anything to him first to start the conversation, I'd be like, okay, she's into this. But it really just reads like he's this creep who won't let her sit there and have her fucking coffee and before going to work. Have, like reading material or something? I think she just like has because her own shit to do. Yeah. I, that was actually the one time where I felt like she acted like a human. I, I don't like her performance in this movie, but like he said, he says really loudly to her, good morning. And she's like, morning. And like, yeah. is it returning yeah. to her book or whatever? And I'm like, natural. If some stranger yeah. is talking to the, uh, talking to me that way at a restaurant, I'm like, no, no. Yeah. bye-bye. Yeah, no, I'm talking to go, please. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and they have this conversation. It's very charming. And at the end of it, they, they have the fucking awful, like they walk in different directions. Right. Looking back at each other for like in, in three minutes. It's honestly, yeah. I feel like they each get three turns. Yeah. The first time I had seen that, I thought it was edited. I saw it on Twitter like a month this was a thing on Twitter like a month or so ago yeah. oh, like they extended it out or no, something no yeah and I thought that like this surely this can't be how it actually is in the that movie is how it is. that is how it actually is in the movie and then of course like he gets hit by a car instantly two cars two cars sorry multiple cars in quick succession yeah. a car beeps at him when he's in the middle of the road he stops in the fucking middle of the it's road so to stare after her a car beeps and he's like oh I better move back two feet and then two <laughs> other cars hit him 
Yeah, like this fucking hayseed, first of all. It's Second of all. doesn't know what the big city is. Yeah, exactly. And we established also that, like, this is supposed to be, like, this cosmic, like, you know, convergence of these two people who are meant to be together. Yeah. They leave this conversation not knowing the other person's name, not knowing their phone number, where oh they work, God. anything. She just says, I'm a doctor. Like, if this is supposed to be a meet cute for the ages, how the fuck were they ever going to find the each other The number thing I kind of get, because this, this, by the way, is happening <laughs> yeah, while she is still engaged to Drew. So I get why she's not like, here's my number, but at, why wasn't it much earlier in the conversation? Even around, like, wouldn't that be his in? Good morning. Oh, she kind of rejected me on that good morning. Mm. Hi, my name's... I what is his name, even? Well, we don't know. That's the point. He has never said. Yeah. So, like, the thing is, like, if she... If they had left the conversation and she just said, like... What if his name is me, Joe Black? <laughs> that's the... <laughs> like, his name is Joe Black. In the end. He just is Joe Black. <laughs> Maybe. Honestly, would be that would have been a better... And idea, then frankly. he just has to wonder why people... Why these weird family know him. Yeah, I you know. Like, why, why this Drew guy keeps scowling at him every time he walks <laughs> He's getting, like, letters sent from, like, white-collar prison of, like, fuck you, Joe. He's like, this is weird. He says... <laughs> He says, I stole you from him? That's bizarre. <laughs> also, Sweetie, what does this mean? This is a sidebar. I think Micho Black is not a good name for the movie. I don't think I feel so like, no, it's a weird name. Yeah, it's, like, also, it's too cutesy for how very serious this movie yeah, is. Yeah, I was like, because obviously Death Takes a Holiday would be totally inaccurate for this movie, because there's not a lot of, like, fun holiday in this movie. But on the other hand, at least you know what you're getting up front with a name like that. Here it's like, who is Joe Black? Why are we meeting him? Meet Why Joe, does it matter? Meet Joe Black says to me, this is somewhat of a comedy yeah, it, in the it, title, but it's it not. It reads, like, if I just saw that title on paper it would read as a comedy yeah. to me yeah anyway sorry you were saying uh well other things other areas where this movie has huge dips Craps. in tone and quality <laughs> i i don't want to i don't i this is something i really have to wonder how badly it played out now versus today mm-hmm. it, can, it simply can't be ignored that brad pitt has a scene a couple of scenes with <laughs> uh, like an old jamaican woman mm-hmm. and to show that he is some sort of unearthly being like quote unquote speaks her language which is just him doing a racist Jamaican accent. Yeah, I'm going to insert a snip of this right here. Doctor, um, um, just one second. I'll be right there. Please, my mama is sicker than him. Obia. No, mama. Obia, man. I'm going to die. Mama, stop it. It's just a man. What's Obia? Bad spirit. She just thought fever. She don't mean nothing. Please help us. Of course. No, Obia, sister. No devil, no dopey. Everything going to be iry. Obia. Right, Will be evil, I not evil, oh man. And what you is then? I from that next place. You waiting here to take us? Like you's the bus driver to the No man, I on holiday. You heard it. <laughs> <laughs> it's cre- okay, so I, I I researched this and didn't really find anything of like what was everyone's reaction to that. I'm just gonna have to assume at that point in the 90s, no one really thought that much about it. I mean, so here's... I but, feel like even if you were looking at it like, wow, we are super fucking racist to go up to this old lady and start mimicking her. It is, though. I feel like it would just come off as ridiculous that he was, like, making a concentrated effort to mimic her vocal patterns so closely. I know. Like, you know, like, it, it's just, like, even if you don't think that this is, like, an offensive thing to do, it has to sound ridiculous coming out of his mouth. Okay, especially because they are both speaking... English. There is no reason for him to speak in this accent. It's not like she couldn't understand him right. if he just spoke unaccented English. Right. Mm-hmm. It's such an unnecessary layer on it that is so crazy. 
And the the weirdest thing about that scene is that it's there's nothing wrong with the characters or the dialogue or the the structure of that scene. It's just have them speak a different language, right? Yeah, if they, yeah, Spanish. If they, yeah, if they were doing Spanish, Korean, anything yeah. to each other, it would be perfectly fine. It would just there would have been equal effort to just have someone come in and coach him on how to phonetically speak in another language just for those lines. Yeah. Then it would have. Then I think that's equal to a dialect coach coming in and teaching him this patois. And make no mistake, no one's gonna be fooled. Like a Spanish person would not have been thrilled with him speaking Spanish. It would have sounded bad to them. Right. But like, it's at least less offensive than someone speaking, especially right. in the context of like a Jamaican woman and him yeah. speaking patois. In, in my opinion, the way I would have ultimately have preferred this is for them to have just. I feel like we this it could have played to us like he's just gonna speak normally, and regardless of what language this woman speaks. And then we somehow get the idea that it's coming through in her language to her or something like that. I mean, that would have been great. I would have taken the speaking another language thing. All of that would have been fine. It's just like, why go in this direction of having a white guy speak in this accent? It's just... It's the one terrible. thing that really works, though, is whenever they show the reaction shot of Susan and the girl's daughter, <laughs> and the girl's daughter has this look on her face like, what the fuck <laughs> is this white guy saying to my mother right it's, now? There's, like, there's suspicion and rage. Yeah. And Susan, just just like... looks, Susan has the same sort of look of, like, bewildered confusion that she always has in this movie. <laughs> but, like, she just, like, the daughter is, like, fucking irate. Like, she, like I just yeah. expect her to, like, grab the mom's wheelchair and be like, you know what, we're going to find a hospital without a bunch of racist fucks standing around. Yeah. And we'll take you there instead. I do have to say, though, I think the actor who plays um, the old woman does a good job. Oh, wonderful. Like, I, I think that she, she's very compelling in, like, the two scenes that she has mm-hmm. with Brad Pitt. And so it's like, in a way, it would be kind of a shame to lose her for, like, another actor who is presumably, like, speaking, you know, a language that she may not be fluent in. I also, yeah. I also think that for a movie that, at least in my opinion, is priding itself on how poetic so many of its lines are, I thought she got the most effortless and beautiful poetic lines, particularly when she's talking about how, like, when you pass on, you just want to have Some a lot pictures, of a yeah. lot of very nice pictures to take with you. And I thought that that was such a beautifully phrased, beautiful idea. Yeah, I think like, it's, it's one of those things that really helps because she she like is not speaking very clear English. So it's like she can't have these bizarre, florid, like yeah. like these yeah, languid yeah. phrases coming like from out. Yeah, so she just has to say like simple things, and like the, the simplicity of her dialogue works in her favor. And I have to say, it's one of the strongest points in the movie for me too because I like he's saying it she says in response to him saying like the reason he wants to be in love with this woman is because it's lonely for him up there and that's mm-hmm. why he wants to stay down here and she says well it's lonely down here too yeah. like it's it's the same but like in, in the very least when you go you have some nice pictures to take with you yeah. and that was a nice like rounded out perspective on, yeah. some, on, on life from someone who was on the verge of death yeah it's just such a fucking shame about the patois because I feel like it overshadows what is otherwise some of the movie's best scene work. No, it's not. It's not good. And writing. If we talk about Claire Forlani's general, I don't Thing. know. Yeah. Space Malaise. Her acting face. Where yeah. She... <laughs> Do you know what she has? Like a permanent She's... not smile. Yeah. She smiles in like a V. It's always caught between like a smile and a grimace. It always seems a little pained. Well, it feels like is it feels like she is someone who's perpetually sad yes. and realizes that like you have to joke your way through situations in life. So she is like prepared to at any given point, no matter how sad she is, just like smile real quick to like make people feel like, oh no, don't worry about me. I, I'm I fine. had this thought a few times during the movie, but I thought like so like Claire Forlani obviously read this the whole script. Like, did she think like 
well, I know my character is going to feel sad about her dad dying later, but I'm going to start channeling that sadness like from the jump because she's just. I think her entire thesis statement on how to act is like half-lidded eyes, breathless voice, and half smile. Close mouth smile. Yeah, she is speaking in half voice through the entire movie. She's whispering through this movie, and everyone else. Her sister, brother-in-law, fiancé, father, everyone is speaking in full voice, but she's down here like, I don't know, Joe. Yeah. And it's it's like, I, so the character of Grazia and and all the other iterations of this has become a very spacey woman, but I'm fine with her being, she's a very different kind of like, it's, she's like young and exuberant, but she's also very like, her mind is always thinking about things beyond life and like what lies in the shadows. The way this spaciness played in the original movie. Yeah. But the way this spaciness plays in the original movie is a thousand times more interesting and we don't even get that character. No, and, and the, but she's also not a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's not like a 30-something year old doctor. Right. Like it's one thing if you're a 22-year-old rich girl who like probably doesn't really have a lot of demands placed upon her. Yeah. You know, and like all you can all you need to do with your spare time is just sit around and muse to yourself. Yeah. But like she has people's lives in her hands, you know? At no point she, while watching her am I, like, convinced that she has the gravitas and abilities to function as an internal medicine She seems specialist. to sleepwalk through life. Everything. Yeah. I think it's a casting issue. I honestly do think... I think there's a combination between I don't think she's a very good actress and I think the director didn't do a good job directing I feel like the director her. didn't do a very good job with everyone in this movie, to be fair. I think anyone who comes out looking good is because, like, they were a strong enough actress. Like, yeah, they, like, they overpowered him, That's basically. why I think it's ultimately a blessing the guy Anthony Hopkins because he sells the lines the best out of anyone. Yeah. yeah. Brad Pitt, I want to say that I think Brad Pitt should get some credit for this movie. But the Brad Pitt has fine. the worst tonal whiplash. I think he's... But it's not his fault, it's right? It's asked the most of him because he has these insane jumps from like, I'm going to kill you or take your daughter away to, to like, like, ooh, peanut butter's nice. Childlike wonder. But like also, yeah. when a lot of the times when he's delivering these like lines about like impending doom, he says them in the same manner he would when he's talking to the butler about peanut butter. I, yeah. So he's just sort of like, you know, and I'm going to take her with me. And like, I think it would be very much in our advantage for you to not tell people who I am today. I like, think Martin Brest had this idea of like, do you know what would be so cool if you like... If you sold a lot of your like spooky, crazy, you're gonna die lines, just like real casual and really serene. I love that as an idea. And on paper, by the way, I don't have necessarily an issue with that, but as executed, it just feels like he directed Brad Pitt to be like, your data from Star Trek. Everything you're saying is in the same tone of voice. It's a little soft, it's yeah. a little incidental sounding. It just doesn't work. I would say Brad Pitt's death is very cold and nearly robotic. Frederick March in Death Takes a Holiday. There's more emotion is, happening there. It's more like it's very intense. There's yeah. still a coldness, but when he's intense, he, like when he gets an emotion, it's very intense in any direction. Mm. Brad Pitt, they, there's a lot of like lot, specific lines that he's given, or that I guess like his his character is given in Anthony Hopkins's voice before Brad Pitt shows up as death, where he's like really saying some weird dark shit that I'm like death. Why are you in a position to be threatening people? Like <laughs> it's your job to take them away. Like yeah. what else is like? Is it your job to be a creep? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's so creepy. He's like, did you miss me? Yeah, Bill. That I thought was weird too, especially yeah, because like, what like, are you going to give me, Bill? Yeah. Don't, what do I get from this, Bill? We yeah. don't just get like, that. We don't get that spooky villainy at all later when he's actually here. 
Uh, no, there, I mean, there's a moment, like, he has one moment of, like, not cold thing where he, like, with, during the argument about whether or not Claire's going to come with him, he has one sort of childish outburst of, like, actual emotion where yeah. he's like, no, I'm going to take her because I want her. Yeah. And she's going to want me forever and that's yeah. how it's going to be. And that's, like, yeah. the one change from, like, him being just a calm, very staid, right. even, even killed person. You might also think that there is something to be said in this story about maybe death becomes more human as the days progress. Like, maybe he starts off as this cold robot yeah. kind of guy and then learns, like, as he spends more time, he becomes more prone to emotional outbursts or, like, just expression whatsoever. I don't really see that in, in any of these versions, I, but I don't really see that in any of them. No, I mean, it doesn't seem to that. be really a thing that they do, for better or for worse. It's simply not an aspect of death that I see. In yeah, them. yeah, because I think that, again, you when you get a lot of... since film being more visual, you get a lot of close-ups of Brad Pitt's face, and he has just a lot of, like, weird looks throughout the movie. Well, I mean, it's almost, like, comical. Like, when they're kissing yeah. for the first time, his eyes are still open. He's like, whoa? Yeah. Whoa? I'd like to see his reaction to things get more human. And yeah. His, I'd like to see everything about him get more human. Which, by the way, and I guess this is more of a tonal comment than really Brad Pitt's fault, but I feel like the kiss moment would have played a lot better if this movie had any space, any space for humor in its tone, but it's very airless. So there's none of that. And well, I mean, so it just, tried, it, it comes across as jarring. It doesn't like come across as like they try to speak. put humor in it. I'm not, it's not like this movie is a complete slog. Like there are attempts at humor, whether or not they work is, you know, your mileage may vary. Yeah. Yeah. But obviously like the shtick with the peanut butter, the death and taxes thing, like there, there are attempts at jokes here. I do think that they were trying to add some levity to it, mm-hmm. but it's, it's simply, you know, it's not nearly enough. Yeah. And it needs to be better integrated what's there yeah I've done all of my personal examples of like where the whiplash in this movie and the, the mm. dips and, and yeah. the dips and quality come in well, but I, I, I think it also should just be said real quick at the end after death and um, Will cross the bridge and like walk away then all yeah. of a sudden like Brad Pitt pops up like a meerkat over the edge of the bridge. <laughs> oh my god! So like, also, so like, it also must be said. He shows up and she's like, she's like, is it is it you? Like, who is this? Is, is it like you? He's like, yeah, yeah. Um, it's me, the guy from the coffee shop. Uh, I don't know how I got here or why I'm wearing this suit. Uh, looks like a pretty great party though. Hey, what's up, sweetheart? <laughs> ending is the dumbest ending. And also, <laughs> while this inanity is happening, Anthony Hopkins is lying dead on the ground the somewhere, forest. like yes. fifteen yards away from them. So like. They're sitting there having like this fucking dumbass second me cute, and her dead dad is lying off. Camera. Yeah, and she knows that he's right. Dead. And they walk off the office. They, yeah, they walk off like, like on an arm. Like I know, like an ambulance. Just like go by real quick. Like be like, oh yes, there he is. He's dead. Like let's <laughs> call someone. Yeah. But in addition to that, it does sort of play as like, yeah, your father's dead, but in exchange, you get this guy back. And also, it's meaningless because they've had like one scene, and it's right. like even if you if you didn't find him a creep the first time it's so if you're if any of us had a loved one right and the dude that was going to die and they like died and then sent their friend over to your house you'd be like what the fuck yeah. <laughs> what I don't need this right now decision? yeah my like and my dead lover just like sent you like right. that's weird yeah and also so like there is something that I kind of like that Anthony Hopkins addresses whenever like Death is like, I'm in love with your daughter. Anthony Hopkins is like, no, you're not in love with her. What she's feeling toward you is like lingering attachment she had for that guy when she met him in the coffee shop. And now she's just being confused by like you popping up again. So like you, it implies already that like she is sort of like not really aware of who he is. Or, and so like there's that sort of distance and confusion happening there. So then when he shows up again at the end, like what is she feeling? 
leaning toward him there because she already had like initial attraction for the skis. Attraction toward death was based on the initial attraction toward the skis. So like, what does she feel for like the shell of this guy who was once the death that she was kind of in love with because she was kind of in love with the guy initially? <laughs> it's just like, this is so fucking complicated. Why do we bother adding this whole like sequence where she meets him at the coffee shop and then he pops back in at the end? Honestly, just so that we can walk away being like, well, at least she got a consolation prize out of this. Maybe like that or the like dance with Ellie Hopkins kind of right before that. Maybe one of those was the audition scene and that's why she was hired because those are the only two moments, at least in my opinion, where her weird like sad smile acting face pays off because I'm like, okay, that's at least sort of balancing out all of the competing emotions currently happening. Mm -hmm. It's wild. Before we get into fixes, I wanted to briefly uh, ask everyone... Uh, what moments they felt worked really well in this movie? Um, I've got my answer. I would so I would say the conversation between uh, Death and Joe were were they're at um, they're at his house in Poughkeepsie, yeah. and Death is like, "Well, I am taking your daughter. Guess what?" And then yeah. they have that conversation between the two of them. I liked that too. That was I also liked the conversation that Death has with Quince uh, before the party where Quince is like drinking wine and he's <laughs> yeah. like he like feels really like miserable and then he's like well like what would you say if you knew it was me who like sold out old man parish or whatever right. and then like it, it, then Quince is like do you, like Joe do you like me he's like yes Quince you're one of my I favorites like so yeah. like Quince is like oh like, <laughs> he bats his head yeah I thought that was actually really good acting on both of their parts yeah. I also thought that was a really good character moment for Quince because yeah. otherwise he's just I mean the other good character moment I liked for him. I like most of the scene in which Marsha Gay Harden's sister character is sort of breaking down at dinner because Anthony Hopkins is kind of an asshole to her. Um, the part of the scene I don't like is how like Anthony Hopkins, it comes across in that scene and then again later at the party that he just doesn't really seem to care about his no. other daughter. Which is shitty, but I, I did like the acting and the writing around like her breaking down uh, Quince comforting her. I thought that was a really good relationship like, moment. Cake, yeah, he's like, like oh, yeah, he's like trying to like, like, yeah, he's like complimenting the yeah. cake because he knows it'll make her feel better. It was a moment where I, th this is going to sound weird to say, but I felt like in general the movie is unbelievably insensitive to her character, and I thought that was a nice moment of the movie actually recognizing this. Yeah, as I a mean, human. You know, because it was kind of like, oh, like I get why this couple works together. Like yes. Jeffrey Tambor is like ten years older than her. Like he's Jeffrey Tambor. She's Marcia Gay Harden. Like clearly one of them <laughs> is like reaching and one of them is. Settling in this relationship, yeah. but like, like again, also we know that like, wow, Quince is like a well-intentioned idiot. He's sort of like lucked into this whole well, family, and so it's kind of nice to see that like they have this like very close relationship where like he clearly loves her very much and cares about her. A and lot. he's emotionally intelligent in that moment. And I also just thought it was a moment of humanity for her character, which is otherwise just sort of a. Like a paper doll, really, because she has one mode, which is like, I'm stressed about the party. And well, that's all but they have. also, because then contrary-wise, they have the follow-up scene at the party where we're like, they're planning it. And she's like, it's okay, Dad. I know I'm your second favorite kid. And he's just like, uh, so, it's like, yeah, it says nothing. Right. And so like, she, she's just like talking about like, I, like, I know you love me, but you, you know, the expression you have on your face whenever Susan walks into a room, it's just completely different. Yeah. And like, the, like the thing for him to say there would be like, because you have your shit more put together than right. Susan does. Like, I'm sorry if it shows that like, I'm not always like on your side or if I'm not always giving you the support you need, but that's because I know that you are a strong enough person to do this without me having to do that. And I'm sorry if you think that Which, that's the case. Honestly, I think it's kind of unconscionable. We don't get that. Yeah. Because it's just makes him seem like such a fucking jackass yeah. to her. Like, she's just shat upon throughout this entire movie. And I realize you wanted to talk about things we liked, yeah. but that just sort of slipped out. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. <sighs> back okay. to things we liked. It, 
I but anyway, I liked I liked that character moment for her. I thought that was really good. Because I don't like the business stuff in general, but I did like the moment of Drew and in particular the board reacting in a way that I thought was understandable given the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Of like this new person kind of is on the scene, suddenly extremely close with Anthony Hopkins. I thought everyone was acting threatened in a way that made sense for See, what was I actually, going on. I kind of like that also because honestly, I didn't expect that that was something that was going to happen in the plot where they would be like, hey, this, like, we're about to do a merger, this weirdo shows up and now he seems to be influencing everything our boss is saying. Like, yeah. uh, we need to do something about this now. So like, I kind of, even if, again, I did not care for the business stuff right. a lot, I thought that that was sort of an interesting little wrinkle in this. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I also thought in general in the movie, the movie's emotional reality, uh, it only makes sense to me about half the time. That was just one of the moments that made emotional sense to me. Uh, my favorite moments are the two times that death takes someone, I think. Yeah. So I really like the scene where he's talking to the old Jamaican lady, Ratita, I think is her name. Mm-hmm. No, is I think that, that's what he said. That's like an expression. That's an expression? It means like, oh, what I the hell? No idea. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was her name. No, it means like, what the hell? He says it like that. two times. Yeah, it's as just an exclamation. Um, but whatever her name is, the way, like the conversation they have about nice pictures. Yeah. And then he asks her if she has enough nice pictures and that's when he decides that she can go put her out of her yeah, yeah. um and the other i i mean all a lot of the end leading up to anthony hopkins like walking over the bridge is the will always get to me mm-hmm. i really like when death uh not death when bill has like his final dance with his daughter yeah and then they're going down to the fireworks and she's already sort of come to this realization that there's something up with joe and that there's mm-hmm. like I I think the movie implies that she walks back from the revelation of who he is. Or sorry, the Wikipedia summary. Yeah. I don't agree. I think that she kind of understands. I think she knows. I think she must. Like, she, even, like, even if she can't wrap her mind around the fact that, like, yeah. death is physically there, she's aware that, like, this is happening. She knows what the deal is. Because yeah. when, when Bill says, like, you go on, I'll, like, meet you there. She's she is crying. very clearly, yeah, yeah, she starts crying and she kind of realizes, like, this is the last time she'll see her father. Yeah. But she has to walk away now. Right. And so, like, she, it's, like, a really strong moment of her doing that and like it's kind of a good like honoring the wishes of the dead too and the fact that like he doesn't he wants to do this alone and she has to honor it even though like it's the last time to see him and and she even has a moment where she does like while she's watching the fireworks turn around and just see them go over the yeah and she walks toward them kind of as they're leaving i also like the um Right after he shoves fucking Marsha Gay Harden out of the way and he's giving... <laughs> when he, like, yeah. goes and has, like, he's hugging her and holding her for the last time before they do their dance yeah, yeah. together. But right before, of course, we were hit with the scene of Brad Pitt asking for more peanut butter. Um, where they have, like, their little brief interaction where, where um... Where he's just like, yeah, I, I'm afraid, like, do, like... Mm-hmm. I love you and like and that's why it's okay yeah mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think that she plays that scene very well he plays that scene very yes. well it's the, uh, honestly like if that ending if that ending sequence had just been condensed like by trimming out the little bits of fat it yeah. would have been very effective it would have been if, a lot leaner yeah if I could say like if we now that we're talking about we're wondering what this movie is trying to say um, versus like what the original story is trying to say if I could the th- I think the thing I like most about this movie like the individual moment is like when the fireworks are going off and he's like, they're both watching them and he's looking at Joe and he says like, it's hard to let go, isn't it? And Joe says like, yes, it is. And he's like, well, that's life. What can I tell you? And if there's a thesis statement in this movie, I think that's sort of what it is. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it, not enough of it, but I think what it wants to focus on is like not dying per se, but like letting go and like farewells and goodbyes. I think that's like this, to me, the saddest thing about death. Yeah. I don't Mm -hmm. think that death in itself should be sad per se, but I think that like, what they're saying is like this is the last time you'll see these people or like we don't know what happens beyond it and 
So that part to me is like what will always stand out and probably why I recommended that we do it for the podcast. Looking to score. You had wanted to. Yeah, let's do a brief looking to score. I think this music is really good. It's Thomas Newman. Yeah. Which is interesting because in our last conversation that we had together, I was talking about Angels in America and how Angels in America, the ending of the stage show makes me feel sad and the ending of the miniseries really gets me with the score. Mm -hmm. And that was Thomas Newman. Oh, really? Thomas Newman. He's very, um, he's very good. He's very, he has a very unique style. I think like once you kind of know what he sounds like and to be fair, this movie is a pretty good indication of like what he sounds like <laughs> yeah. you can easily recognize him because this does remind me of the score to like Angel of America and even something like Finding Nemo which else did the score for it's all it's so they're always sort of a little more like I guess abstract is it almost is a little, the word. It's like atmospheric. Yeah. yeah. And like there are, I, I would say like there are motifs more than there are themes. Like there are certainly like, like little bits that pop up again. Yeah. Throughout. Like there is sort of like a romance thing that you get between um, Brad Pitt and Claire Forlani. It's a bit mysterious that one too. It's it is, which I kind of like. It's, 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 it's like there are parts of it that are very sort of like, like romantic and stringy, but then there are also like, like just a few like little notes that are sort of uncertain. Yeah. And a little dark, which is like, ends like it's, it's the perfect sort of I was you know, say, score for that scene. Totally appropriate. I think for the subject matter of the movie as well. Yeah. I made a comment about how I felt like the music felt weird in this movie, and that wasn't necessarily a comment on the quality of the music, which I find to be good. I just think the movie doesn't rise to that level, and it Mm -hmm. makes the moments the movie is using the music for feel even less earned. I mean, I think the movie... There's there's like some whimsical music that I could do without, but I feel like it's what you need in in that time. Yeah. But like the music is being used to try to give scenes gravitas that the scenes just don't have. Well, I mean, I think it was, again, so like, again, back to the coffee shop sequence when they're leaving like it's this very sort of like sweet soaring romantic music playing but again it's just playing over them looking back at each other three times before he gets hit by a car so it's like this is a perfectly fine piece of music to have as like your meet cute couple are like walking apart from the first time but you fucking ruin it by having this like cut to him cut to her cut to him (laughs) cut to her nonsense happening yeah so like again i it's it's just so much of this movie's fault is in like the editing and the direction i i really like the i think it's called the next place is the name of it in the soundtrack though i mean there's versions of it throughout i think there's multiple tracks that use the same theme but like the one that is like this the sore that you get when he says like it's hard to let go yeah um but that's used in the beginning it's a lot it's used for a lot for like bill's speeches and stuff mm-hmm. it's a good score yeah it is i'm glad you liked it because no it's, i did it's been one of my I, I like thomas newman i think yeah. he always does solid work so it's you know, not a surprise to me that I like this one, I think. Yeah. Uh, let's do fixes. All right. I can go first, since I've thought a lot about it. Go so, I I think I've definitely done, not like I'm bragging about it, but I think I definitely did the most... Lee, sit down. ...research this time. Yeah, take a seat, Lee. I spent a lot of time thinking about it. I really wanted to understand everything about all the different iterations of this. So I read the play script, I read the musical script, I, I watched the original movie again... I watched like a <laughs> musical. Shh, don't tell the FBI. Yes. You were in. Uh, <laughs> don't tell Agent Joe Black. Don't tell Agent Joe Black of you the IRS. You were incredibly thorough. Uh, I also uh, wanted. I rewatched City of Angels because I thought it was adjacent to this movie. I would agree with that. And I was thinking a lot about Elizabeth, the German musical where uh, death is like a character, a romantic character to the prince that was Empress of Austria. Because mm-hmm. I wanted a lot of different touchstones and like how this story is done. There are different things I like about a lot of the iterations of this. I like the this sort of, like, moody, philosophical stuff in the play a lot. And I like the setting of it after World War One. I. I like the choice of the musical to focus a lot on, more on the romance. What I don't like that isn't in any of them is I don't like the unclarity about how, like, what happens after he walks away in the end. Whether or not he takes the woman with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't like that, for the most part... Either she walks into it very blindly or is not aware of it until the very end. 
And I kind of want there to be a, a version of the story where if someone is in love with death or there's a romance with death, that she's open-eyed about it for at least 50% of the story. I think I want to keep it set after World War One. I'm changing the character of the Duke slash Bill to a, a woman in her 40s. Mm. And she was a nurse in World War One, And she is someone that has seen a lot of death from a very young age. And her first encounter with death, the character, was as a child. When someone in her life died, maybe her parents or something. And because of how often she has experienced death, whether or not, not to her, but to, around her and her choice as a nurse, like, she is so close to it that she is able to, like, similar to how Grazia is sensitive enough to, like, perceive his true nature, she's able to, like, see death. Sort of how, like, Meg Ryan is able to, like, see Nicolas Cage somehow, despite the fact that he's not always choosing to be visible to her. Mm -hmm. Like, she's able to see him and death, like, for death, that's at least a weird, unique experience of being able to be seen by someone and not, yet, not like, in fear and not someone who, like, runs away from him by someone who's not, like, someone he's taking away. And so they have this sort of weird relationship where she's not afraid of him, but she's, he's always there at these darker moments of her life and is, like, able to give her maybe some closure about a patient who she's lost or, like, something like that. At some point, she has a child with someone, like, a soldier of World War One who dies and she's very like upset that like the soldier died and like lashes out at death for that and death decides like not to see her again just doesn't want to like make her upset and then i kind of want the same thing to happen and i think like the i like what the musical does with this idea that death is supposed to kill grazia at the beginning but he doesn't because he can't bring himself to so i'm keeping that but it's in this time it's he comes back to this family now, like, she's a single mother and she has this daughter who's, like, 18, and she's supposed to die, and Death realizes, like, it's the daughter of this woman who I used to know. I can't just do this to her. I took, like, it would have already taken, so it's the first time he decides, like, not to take her, and decides to take this, like, holiday, and he doesn't want to confess to her that, like, I have to, at the end of these three days, like, I have to take your daughter away. So he's trying to create room for her and her daughter to, like, have three days together mm -hmm. before the end. Um, and during that three days, he gets to experience all of these things he's never experienced before. And he's able to talk not just to her, but to other people who, like, are no longer afraid of him. Um, and I think in the end, I want it. I want her to go with him in the, instead of the daughter so that the daughter can live out the rest of her life. Like, there's some sort of exchange. There are a couple moments I talked about that I wish happened in this movie. I wish that someone else... I wish that Death had a better mentor character who, like, understood him and was, like, a bit rooting for him. And that's kind of why... I made the choice to have it be this older woman. One of the core problems I have with this story is that is the idea that death is this being who is some sort of like, he implies in the musical even that he's a soldier fallen borders, that he doesn't have a lot of choice in what he does. And the idea that like somebody put this being in charge of like doing this job by himself for eternity and he has the capacity to like feel like he's missing something or feel lonely. It seems like a horrible, like a bummer of a universe to be living in if like that can happen. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of wanted someone else to re not relate but like to empathize with that mm -hmm. and to be like why do you like we real like the humans rail against our fates all the time and i kind of wanted someone else to do that on his behalf and be like why must it be you like why why if you're able to like feel tired and fatigued from all of this death and you feel like you're not getting everything you want like why is this the only option for you and so i kind of want there to be like a solution where like death can get some sort of catharsis out of this 
Chris? I was going to say, could I go next? Yeah, go. My idea was also to try to keep it maybe closer to World War One Because we were discussing this a couple of days ago, and I really did like this idea of, like, that was a big jumping up point for when we just came up with more effective ways, ways to, to kill. Yeah, mm-hmm. but in, like, really wide swath kind of ways. But my thought is we can, the story would start a little bit before that, probably with the Grazia character losing her mother, and she's somehow able to perceive death when he comes to collect her mother. And that that would sort of be an inspirational moment for her to start to study medicine throughout her life. And so a lot of this would kind of be episodic through the years. She's seeing death as a rival, something that when she sees him pop up again, she kind of takes that as a mark of personal failure. Mm-hmm. Basically, the, the arc for her is coming to understand that death is sort of like an, like an emotionally neutral inevitability. Mm-hmm. Like it, yes, it is being a personified in this moment, but it's not taking pleasure in what it's doing. It's merely performing a service that is a natural part of what life is. And that her general lesson is to come to that conclusion that like, yes, yes, death can make you feel very sad, but in and of itself, it's just a part of things, right? Yeah. But that I would kind of want to have it maybe like, death is also somewhat instructional. And that that could be more literalized in this version of it, where it's like literally telling her, especially while she's learning to be a doctor of like, nope, like, this decision is quite deadly or something like that. But my thought is it's sort of her starting in a place where she's seeing death as a very fearful and something that she hates and something that she gets into medicine to explicitly prevent, but lives a long enough life that by when death comes to collect her, when she's a much older woman, she's like made her peace with it and has had a family and everything. It sort of shifts some of the focus off of the romance aspect I don't necessarily want them to be a couple, but I would want them to almost kind of have a like an affection for one another, which yeah. I would I think is an interesting idea, particularly if she's going to be a doctor and particularly as someone whose life was probably touched very strongly by death from a young age. I would want there to be a father character. I think that would sort of be a like second act kind of like raging against death moment that when he does eventually come to collect her father, she's kind of realizing like, shit, everything that I put myself into to try to prevent this from happening, it is inevitable. Mm -hmm. I really like the idea of trying to impart the message of, you know, feel what you're going to feel with death, but understand that it's not, it doesn't have to be something you necessarily fear. It's just something that is going to happen. And it's something just to process, just like anything else that happens in life. I like that. It actually, like, if, especially if you, if you did make it more romantic, that actually sounds a lot like Elizabeth in a different light. Like it's just, it creates more of a combative relationship where they, death is a permanent and then to be like, sorry. And like, it has to take someone's soul or whatever. And they have like a little argument about it. So mine is going to be set in, I think the seventies. I didn't want to do a period piece set so close to world war one or world war two or something like that. But I thought the seventies, because it would have been coming off of us already having gone through world war one, world war two, Korea and Vietnam, the idea that we've been basically like going through large scale wars for, you know, the better part of a century at that point. Mm-hmm. It's going to take place somewhere in New England. I want to say maybe like a Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard, like mm-hmm. an island that you can't actually access. Money, money. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you'll rub your fingers to get there. <laughs> um, the human figure, for the most part, because the one thing I do really like about this movie that um, it's it's something interesting that I think it isn't really done in the other versions of this story, is the relationship between the Anthony Hopkins and Brad Pitt. And so uh, I do want that the focus of this to be between um, 
a guy who's probably like in middle age, I would say maybe at the oldest, his early 60s. Um, he lives there. He has, I would imagine, um, a daughter and a son. They are probably both like in their mid-20s at this point, and they're spending the summer there on uh, Nantuck and Martha's Green or what have you. He's also there with uh, his wife and his mother. His mother is an older woman who is like in her 80s, who will almost serve the same function as the older Jamaican woman did mm-hmm. in the uh, Micho Black story. Uh, his father, the man's father, would have died probably, I think, the last um, within the last year or so. So this person's death is kind of fresh in his mind. Mm-hmm. It still kind of hangs over the family. So the idea is that death decides to just sort of go off on its own to take a holiday to understand what it is that being alive is like. And so he picks this person again to act as his guide through this. There's not going to be a romantic relationship that death has with anyone because I don't really care to go into that sort of story. Uh, I do think there will be obviously like scenes with him and the guy's kids and like anyone else who happens to be like in their friend group just sort of showing him like what it is like to live. While this is also all going on, the man and death are obviously, you know, they're sort of building up a relationship between each other. The man has a lot of questions about, you know, what is the afterlife like? Why did you, you know, I realize, of course, that my father was very old, but, you know, he was, you know, it was not a good death for him. Like, he was in pain for a long time. And now, you know, it's just my mother here, and she's very old, and she's very lonely. And, I, I'm, you know, the thought of losing her, too, now is really just sort of, you know, tearing me up inside. We also find out, as this has been going on, that similar to in the original source material, death is not killing people while he is on holiday. So the reason why I wanted to be in a secluded area like an island is so that you didn't have to deal with, like, you know, being in, like, New York City and realizing, yeah. like, people running around screaming, like, oh, my God, no one's dead. Yeah. That is really wise. And so the idea is, like, if it's on an island, you would just, you know, in the 70s before social media and, like, the internet, you would just have people be like, so, um, yeah, I heard from, like, the mainland that, like, there was an accident the other night. And, like, you know, two cars and each other had on collision. The people just, like, got up and walked away. Like, what do you think that's about? I'm like, oh, I, I, it's probably just bullshit. Like, don't believe it. Yeah. So while Death is also having conversations with um, the man's mother, who realizes who he is, that he is death and she is someone who sort of like wants to move on and go on to the next life as much as her son the man doesn't really want that to happen this is sort of like what her desire is at this point Mm -hmm. so while all this is going on death is sort of giving it giving a sense of like what it is to live what it is to have attachment what it is to love someone and he decides that instead of taking someone with him as he does in meet joe black and death takes holiday that he's just going to be a human and he's just going to stay here forever and no one will ever die ever again and he's just going to live on this island with all these people and so on the one hand we're like this is sort of like his life guide is kind of like, wow, that's kind of great. Like my mother, you know, I'll have my mom here forever. Like yeah. I'll be safe. My, my loved ones will be safe. You start to realize like why death is kind of important in the scheme of things. Like he has conversations with his mother where she's like talking to him and saying like, this is what I want. Like I'm very old. My, like, you know, most of my friends have all gone. My husband has gone. Like I love having you around here, but like, I'm not meant to be here forever. Like I have to go. And so eventually it becomes like, a debate sort of between the man and death to realize like why indeed it is important to have death in your life even if it's something that you're kind of like afraid of and confused by why it is a necessary part of life and so the idea is that both death learns a little bit about what it is like to be human and the human understands like in in a profound way beyond him like what exactly life is all about in that sense so in the end obviously death goes on to become death and I think he's going to take the man's mother with him and it's just going to sort of be a, a comforting sort of loss for I think the man to realize that while his mother 
maybe gone. He loves her very much that this is really what needs to happen. I really like that. I feel like we all did really good ideas with this, guys. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack with this movie. You know what I also appreciate that I think our fixes also kind of showed that Mm -hmm. I think as either silly or serious as you want to make the concept, it's a very meaty concept with a lot that you can mine and a lot of directions you can take it. And... I think while there is sort of similar threads in our fixes, I think inevitably because it's uh, we're all kind of working with the same material, I think it, it really speaks to the versatility of this concept that we both, we all, all, all three of us kind of went in different I mean, places. It's not, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like, it's a, people are fascinated with death yeah. and the mm-hmm. unknown, and so, like, there's a lot that comes from that, I think. Yeah. Would you recommend Meet Joe Black? To the God, general. That's so tough. <laughs> so I don't know if I can in good conscience recommend it just because it is so long. Yeah, I I could agree. I think that you could maybe it's a if hard you could sit through it once. You'll get some yeah. good emotional moments. I think. I don't know that I can recommend what we watched. I think I could recommend the airline. The airline. See, I would need to see the airline yeah. cut before I can recommend the airline. Yeah, I think you should sit you. through the three hours at least once to understand what I'm talking about with that end scene. Are we getting? as close as we've ever come to an I don't know to this question. I mean, I, I still come down on the no, side of no. people usually come down on usually it's like two out of three or yeah, I'd still come down on the side of no. I think at the end I'm of the day, yes. I would sooner just watch the trailer for Phantom Menace and then leave. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm saying yes, I do recommend it. I think you should see it at least once. I feel like its length and its difficulty, to some degree, is kind of storied. Like, I yeah. don't know that, like, we as a culture keep thinking about this movie, but I feel like people who like to watch movies, like the people in this room, have all kind of heard of the infamy of this movie of being, like, so long and ponderous. Yeah. That it, I do kind of feel like, in a certain way, yeah, this may be, like, an experience you should have. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and unlike So Susan or Grazia, you need to walk into this movie with open eyes and know that it's not great. Yeah. But you should sit through it at least once, I think. If it were a half hour shorter, I would recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got. That's all we got. That's all we got. That's all we got. Facebook.com slash whywatchpodcast. www.dratpack.com is a website. That's about it. We'll be back in two weeks. Yeah. And rest in peace, everyone. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Meet Joe Black. Yep. Meet Joe Black. Bye. Bye, Joe Black.